You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Uh, it's a real privilege to preach. I've been at a conference for two days. Uh, have any of you done Strength Finders? It's a book, Discover What Kind of Person You Are. Oh, well, I can, I can pretend I know all about it. I'm an influencer. And what I discovered is I preach best when people are leaning forward and saying amen. Seriously, there you go. I'm already feeling I'm on a roll. You know what I'm saying? If you say amen, hallelujah, we're with you, Pete, I get better. So I'm just encouraging you. I discovered that this week. Hopefully, you'll encourage me this morning. We're looking at week three in Colossians. This is a series called In Christ. It's a book that Paul wrote in the Bible. If you've got it, you could turn it. If not, the words will be coming up here anyway. In Christ. In Christ, I don't know about you, I always think about if you're going to be in Christ, you're going to be strong. When I was a teenager, I went to see what was called in those days the power team. I've got a photo here. These were people that flew across from America in really nice glitzy shell suits, and they would do amazing feats. One of the guys in front of my eyes blew up a hot water bottle until it burst. Somebody else they, they literally, they, they smacked through six feet of paving slabs. Somebody else went through 12 feet of ice. Somebody else, they had handcuffs together, and they stood next to each other and bust these handcuffs. And I was going, wow. Is that what you think about? Strong Christians? Or maybe you think, no, no, Pete, that's all a bit dated. What you want to talk about is Kevin Fast. Kevin Fast is the world's strongest priest. He has got 19 Guinness World Records. This is a guy in Canada. He manages to pull a fire engine, a house, and even a plane. A 188-ton plane, this priest was able to pull that along. I mean, is that incredible or what? Some of you are thinking, where on earth is this going? I'm not too sure. I just found it really interesting. Come on, come on, are are you with me? (laughs) You see, I think it's so easy to think if I'm going to be a super Christian, I've got to be super strong. And that's why I want to look at what Paul says to the church. What does he say about actually if we're really going to go for God? I'm reading from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. And in my Bible, I'm going to go through to chapter 2 and verse 5. It's called... Paul's labor for the church. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up my flesh with what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. 
I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and those at Laodicea. That was a town that's about 10 miles away from Colossae. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body... I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. I find this a fascinating thing because you may have thought about Kevin Fast if I said to you a super Christian. You may have thought of the power team if you're as old as me. But actually in the Bible, if I had to think of one person that was strong for God, I'd probably have thought of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul that we're reading now wrote 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. He wrote loads, and we're still reading it. The Apostle Paul was a, a powerful communicator in that people understood something of Jesus. I mean, there's some miracles that the Apostle Paul did that you think, wow. The Apostle Paul planted churches all over the place so that people could say, I've come to discover who this Jesus is. And yet when the Apostle Paul talks about what is it like to be a Christian, he uses words that I find challenging. The word in my Bible, the title is Paul's labor for the church. Labor, it's work, it's slog, it's sweat, it's tiring, it's energy. Sometimes these passages can be hard to get a hold of when someone's just reading out. But I just wanted to pick out some words. In verse 23, I didn't read that one. But if you've got a Bible, it's the one straight before you. It says, Paul, I have become a servant. In verse 24, he says, I am suffering for you. In verse 25, he said, I've come to become a minister. Now, that's not somebody who wears special clothes and has a special seat. A minister was somebody who came to provide for others. It's almost like a steward of a house. It says in verse 29, I strenuously contend. I labor, I strive, I toil. I'm working hard day after day. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I contend, I struggle for you. Golly, this is a challenge this morning, isn't it? This is the problem of preaching through a book of the Bible. Because there's some bits of the Bible you think, I'd quite like to skip over. But actually, what Paul says is, you know what? If you missed last week, this week's not going to make a lot of sense. Last week, we looked at the supremacy of Christ. Last week, we looked at the fact that Christ created everything in him, by him, through him, for him. And not only that, he then redeemed the world. So Paul says, well, look in the light of that. I labor. That's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? But it wasn't for Paul. You see, we know quite a bit about the life of Paul. We actually know how he became a believer. We know that he was hostile to Christians. We know that actually he was was on the road to go and throw more, more Christians into prison. He didn't like them. It's called a Damascus Road experience. You might have heard that term. Literally, he was knocked off his horse. 
God comes and he speaks to him. And, and you can read about it in Acts 9. Acts 9, the Lord says to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Gentiles are anyone that wasn't a Jew. And they're kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul's calling was to come and die and to suffer for Jesus. When I was a little boy, I went to Sunday school, and we always had nice stickers that, you know, I'd put on my Bible, or I'd try and stick somewhere in the house until my parents peeled them off the furniture. But it was always things like, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord leads me, guides me. I'm a child of God. And they're all true. I never got given one at Sunday school, suffer for the gospel. I don't know why. But Paul, the first thing he was called to do was to suffer. In fact, if you read Galatians, which was another letter that he wrote, it says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He would almost say, look, if you're an authentic Christian, expect scars. That was his approach. And uh, God, if you want to know that I'm a believer, you, you can see the scars. Am I, Pete, uh, am I making too much of this? I wish I didn't have to. I don't know if I've ever preached on this kind of theme before, but we're going through Colossians and it just jumped at me this week. Most of Paul's life, he struggled. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, this was a letter that he was writing, "We we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced. He goes on to say, far beyond our ability, under great pressure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is Paul, he's writing to a church. I'm, I, I don't know about you, you know, I don't often see that when people go on Instagram. Man alive, life really sucks. It, it tends to be, look at the beach I'm on. Look at the hotel I'm staying at. Look at the food I'm eating. Paul, it's, it's almost like his Instagram, he's saying, look at the scars I've got. Later on in the book of Corinthians, I mean, I find this humbling to read. He says this, 2 Corinthians 11, Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. See, I find this shocking because we end up at church often saying the safest place to be is in the will of God. And Paul was suddenly saying, actually, if you're really going to follow God, this is tough. Now, I'd like to feel that I'm reaching out to the students and the millennials. You all want a cause to live for. My generation, we just want money 
to settle for. Paul is challenging you. Come on, what's your cause? What are you living for? It's almost like if you look at Paul and his understanding of the gospel, it's there will be a cost. There will be a sacrifice. Suffering, listen to this, suffering, according to Paul, is essential. Essential to the gospel. He says in in 1 Corinthians, the letter before the one I've just quoted, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Wow, God's love, God's grace gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy lets us off the punishment that we should have had. Yeah, so he's saying the grace, not only was I let off the punishment I deserved, but God has given me so much. I'm I'm a child of God. I'm adopted by God. I, I don't deserve that. That is grace. He says, but the grace of God meant I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I can find this absolutely mind-blowing that Paul rejoices in sufferings. Rejoices in sufferings. In Romans, Romans was a, 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 one of his biggest letters that he wrote. Some would describe it as the sort of Himalayas of the New Testament, these huge mountain peaks of truth. He says in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. It was the wrong week to ask you all to say amen and hallelujah, wasn't it? (laughs) Let's be honest, leaning forward on this one is not going to be an easy one, is it? Most of us are leaning back thinking, look at somebody else. I found it hard myself preparing. William Barclay, who's a commentator, Scottish author, says this, to suffer in the service of Christ is not a penalty, it is a privilege and an honor, for it is sharing in the work of Christ. So Paul actually wrote and said, follow me as I follow Christ. We can read that in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. And so what he's almost saying is, look, it's a privilege and an honor. I am following Christ. In fact, this church that he wrote, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, Paul was in prison as he wrote this, so he was suffering as he wrote it. There's four letters that he wrote from prison, and this is one of them. Prison wasn't a nice place. It wasn't like he was playing pulled and waiting for the days to pass. It wasn't like food was being provided. It would have been cold, damp, hungry, He'd have only eaten if people would have provided him food. He'd been chained up. He would want to be out doing things for the gospel, and instead he's confined. And yet he still says, come on. In fact, the church knew something about suffering. I told you that Paul had never actually visited Colossae. He didn't start this church. We're not sure if he ever did visit it. We think a guy called Epaphroditus started it. And he heard Paul in Ephesus and then traveled the relatively short distance to Colossae to start this. What do we know about Epaphroditus? Well, Paul actually writes about him in another letter in Philippians. And he says here, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. This is the guy that started the church he's now writing to. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not do. 
And so there's almost this thing of Paul saying, look, come on, you can see me. In fact, the guy who started this church, you know that he suffered. Many would say, and I wish I had longer to pull out some of the the words here, that actually the whole uh, writing was almost writing to soldiers. Come on, you're in a battle. If you're in a battle and it's going to be a fight, you've got to realize it's going to be a struggle. I don't know about you, you know. When I was younger, I thought, do you know what? I I wouldn't mind joining the army because I thought I'd just travel the world. You know what I'm saying? That was almost the advert, wasn't it? Join the army and see the world. And I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind doing that. I'm just not sure I'd want to fight anybody. You know what I'm saying? It's almost, no, you know, I don't know. I just don't think I could do it. And yet here was this sort of illustration that he was using. That Actually, when you're a Christian, you've joined up. You're in the army. Recognize that people suffer. He wrote another letter. See, it's not just one letter. It's right throughout his letters. It's not like, oh, Pete, you're just making a lot of a few verses. All these verses I'm trying to quote is to say, actually, the thread of Paul in the gospel was, it'll be a challenge. In 1 Thessalonians, he wanted to help people as they suffered. He says, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker, in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in the faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. He was saying, I understand that it's going to be tough to be a Christian. And because it's tough, I'm not saying get out. I'm saying that his Timothy is going to help. That was his approach. And I would say that our day is no different from Paul. If you're going to be a, a true follower of Christ, we're requiring heroism, danger, and sacrifice. But... And here's where the big buck comes in. That is so different to me, or I'm going to suggest to you in the way that we live. One of the things I'm really proud about in the United Kingdom is the NHS. Um, I don't know if you saw the opening ceremony for the Olympics in London 2012, but one of the things that was part of the whole procedure was the beds of the NHS. And they ended up spelling this, you know, gosh, Great Ormond Street Hospital in these lights. Why? Because it's almost like we want the world to know that we are so proud of our NHS. Well, I was thinking about that this week. If we're really honest, that the reason for the NHS, this is how I understand the NHS, is if we give them as much money and as much time as we possibly can, they could reduce as much pain for us as possible. That's how I think about it. I mean, I was thinking about it. Like, if I go to the dentist, I mean, I've got to be honest, you know, it's, it's not my favorite place, you know. And, and they say, oh, I think I need to do a little bit of work. You know, are you brave or do you want an injection? I always say, oh, give me about three or four injections. I don't want to feel a thing. You know what I'm saying? They say, local anesthetic? I think, no, general, please. <laughs> they said, look, it's, it's only a, a clean. I said, okay, international anesthetic, wake me up tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? I just hate the thought of pain. I'll be honest with you, I wanted to be a nurse when I was 16. I always thought, I'd love to be a nurse, I'd love to help people, but I cannot stand the sight of people in pain. I mean, I feel embarrassed. I went to visit Matt in hospital about two weeks ago. He was so brave. I mean, it was incredible. I was so weak. When I walked out of the hospital, I was almost sick because I just saw the pain he was in and I wasn't even suffering. I'm not claiming to be a hero in this. I'm admitting my weakness. But sometimes I think, are we like that as Christians? 
actually, I want no pain. I would say the challenge for us this morning is, is our Christianity more about give me the cushion? Let's make life as comfortable as I possibly can. Or is it about the cross? Because I think, actually, if you look at Paul, it was much more about Christianity's to do with the cross. Now, obviously, we only rent this room. We don't have any crosses up here at all. But so often you go into a church building, the cross is there because, whew, this is the symbol of Christianity. But sometimes I think, have we ended up making our Christianity much more about the cushion? Let's be honest, if you, if you go around somebody's house and there's a little wooden fold-out chair, well, there's a sofa. And most of us think, oh, I better be polite and take that. But everything in our heart thinks, I just want to sit on the sofa. Yeah, it's like, how can I make it as comfortable as possible? How can I be, oh, as padded as possible, you know what I'm saying? Oh, golly, let's just snuggle in. Let's have a beanbag in front of the tele. We want our comfort. I think the danger is that we end up approaching Christianity like we live life. Actually, I'd like Christianity a little bit like the NHS. If it could take away my pain as quickly as possible, I'd be really pleased with that. Whereas I sometimes think what Paul is saying was actually the whole thing is Christianity is about the cross. Sometimes I speak to myself here. The danger is we sell Christianity as love, joy, peace, kindness, a better marriage, and more obedient kids. Even a God who will prosper your business. Consequently, even if Christianity is a delusion, you don't mind because you've lived a good life. And I don't see that in the Bible. I see it as radically different. Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant. It's funny because even the disciples couldn't get over it. You know, when he said, I'm going up to Jerusalem to suffer, Peter was saying, don't do that. You're the king. But actually he said, no, no, I came to suffer. I came to die. Again, I was thinking about it this week. And, and you know, Jesus, we believe, if you read the Bibles, he went and he died on a cross. He was placed into a tomb, but actually three days later, the tomb was empty. He rose. We believe that is central to the gospel. We believe that is the story of Jesus. After he's risen, the disciples meet him. Now, I, I try and put myself in the Bible because I'm just trying to think, what would it be? If I had been Jesus Christ and I had met the disciples as the risen Jesus, how would I have done it? I definitely would have had the hallelujah chorus in the background. You know, I just have had a whole load of angels swinging like this. Hallelujah, he's risen. I think what I might have done is I might say, hey, miracle for you, miracle for you. Let's bless you. <laughs> hey, I've got it. I've risen. How did Jesus prove that he was the one? He rolled up his sleeves and showed his disciples the scars. You see, for him, there was something of understanding that although there was victory, it was paid for through suffering. And our challenge is that we all want the victory without the suffering. You can read that in John 20, 20. He showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed. Why? Because they understood something that I think we haven't always seen. Menno Simons, I've never quoted him before. He's a Catholic priest from Holland in the 1500s. He said this. I read it this week and I thought, wow. If the head, that is Christ 
had to suffer such torture, anguish, misery, and pain, how shall his servants, children, and members expect peace and freedom as to their flesh? He's almost like saying, come on, this is, this is what Christ did. Why do we expect the cushion? Last year, I did what's called a hell runner. Don't know why, it's probably a midlife crisis, if I'm really honest, you know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to prove to my wife I still can. What is a hell runner? Well, you may have heard of Tough Muddier. Hell runners reckon that Tough Muddier is for wimps compared to hell runners. So the idea is that it's in January and it's ice and there's cold everywhere and you have to run 10 miles up and down all these slopes and they start sending you through puddles and streams. This was one picture. We knew they were taking a photo. I was with a team, so we tried to smile, but you can see this guy here thought he's out of camera shot. He is absolutely screaming. The next bit of water we went through was so deep we couldn't stand up. We're swimming and it's got ice on it. I mean, literally, the ice is this. I don't know why it's hell. I thought hell would have been warmer than that. But there we go. I'm swimming through this water. I get out the other end. And literally, you think I'm going to have hypothermia. And you're just running. Why did I do it? Because I got a (laughs) T-shirt. A T-shirt that my wife says is probably not right for a pastor to wear because it says, I went to hell for this. (laughs) So I've never worn the T-shirt since. In fact, I gave it to my daughter. Something sort of motivating me that think, oh, golly, I'll, I'll, I'll do it all. Why? I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think there was two reasons for Jesus and for Paul to suffer. And I think if we don't think of the reasons, we won't be prepared to suffer like them. I think reason number one is this. It was undoubtedly for mission. You see, Jesus died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. There's nothing to do. I do not believe that what Paul is saying here is that his suffering completes something that the cross didn't. You can't see that in the Bible anywhere. It is finished. Jesus did it all. But I do think there is something for us in paying a price to deliver the gospel. The gospel is incredible news. The gospel is salvation. If you do not know your sins forgiven, that is salvation, you can get that in the gospel. It is personal. The gospel is signs and wonders. That is powerful. We believe in a God who answers prayer. The gospel is social action. That is political. We believe things should be different in our society and better because of the gospel. But that costs. And I believe that this was the mystery that Paul was talking about. It was a revelation of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And it's almost like Paul says, you know what? I'll pay this price. Not to add to the gospel, but almost to help express the gospel. Even today, I say to you, come this afternoon to a meeting. You think, Sunday afternoon, Pete? No, that's just curl up at home time. Would you pay the price? I say, take some time off in November so that you could come and help share the good news to people in Well, annual leave? That's a price. Invite some friends along to come to, well, I don't. There's a price. What kind of price are we prepared to pay? I read this week of an Indian a guy that wanted to tell people about Jesus. So he walked into this village and he starts telling them all about Jesus. And to be honest, they completely ignore him. 
And he's so depressed and disappointed that he goes outside the village and he lies down and he falls asleep. When he wakes up, the village has surrounded him. And he sort of feels a bit surprised and he thinks they're going to attack him. What had happened is when he fell asleep, they saw the soles of his feet. And they'd seen how blistered his feet were and how cut they were because in his poverty he traveled there to tell them the good news. And they said, if you were going to do that to your feet for us, we would like to hear what you're going to say. There is something I believe in the suffering of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of his people for sinners. And so I think, golly, are we prepared to pay that price? Are we prepared? Are we so in love with this creator that died for us last week that we then say, you know what? That mission, I'm there. I'm in. What is the second reason I pull out this passage about we suffer? I think it's, it says there, it's maturity. It's discipleship. You see, the reality is we will suffer because we want to see people presented mature to God. Tom Wright, he's a scholar and a theologian, he says, being, uh, being like a Christian is like riding a bicycle. Unless you go forward, you'll fall off. He's almost saying that as a Christian, you've got to go forward. If you're not going forward, you're just going to fall over. It's like being on a bike, you know what I'm saying? It's just unnatural to try and sort of stay in one place on a bike. That is another word for maturity. That is a word for discipleship. That is a word for stepping up, getting involved, learning, growing. That can be done in all kinds of ways. I'm, I don't want to trivialize this, but for some people, you think, God, my first thing of growing is I'm going to serve. Isn't it amazing, those that wear red T-shirts? Now, some of you might have thought, a sermon like this, I think I'll serve next week on the kids. <laughs> but in all seriousness, they think, oh, I missed the time. I'll go out. I'll give. Isn't it amazing that people, you know, somebody was here at 5 to 8 this morning setting up the room. I think, oh, that's maturity. Isn't it amazing, those that do these refreshments for us week after week? I don't want to embarrass them, but I'm going to. And they bring in all those biscuits and cakes that we just snack on, serve them generously, run back and forward with the cost. I think it's amazing, isn't it? We could get involved in that. I would encourage you to take steps where you're maturing, you're growing. Or is your church about the cushion? Actually, Pete, I like turning up because oh, the seats aren't bad. And God, it's a nice building. It's easy to get to. Or is your church about the cross? Is it, well, actually, I've turned up on what's comfortable for me. Or is it, well, actually, what about him? We've taken the offering so I can say whatever I like because you may well have forgotten by next week. <laughs> when it comes to our money, do we think, ah, I'll honor him with what's comfortable for me? Or do I think, you know, I'm radically, this creator died for me. Why wouldn't I give everything for him? I read a story of this uh, a guy in Haiti. They were having a Thanksgiving. Basically a Thanksgiving festival, and each one was to bring a love gift. This guy I read about, Edmund, put 13 US dollars into the basket. 13 US dollars. What I found out was that was three months' income. Whoa. I don't know what you were. Now, if you're a student, you think, oh, golly, what's, what's my interest? No, let's not go there today. The average person here, you might earn, I don't know, two and a half thousand a month. 
three months. Whoa, seven and a half thousand they put in the pot. Whoa. Anyway, when they looked around, they discovered that they couldn't find Edmund at church. So the guy who was in charge of the church bumped into him in the village that week. And he said to him, I didn't see you at church. He said, oh, no, I got my friend to put the money in. He said, three months' money, how on earth do you afford that? He said, I sold my horse. He said, but why on earth didn't you come to the church to put your money in the pot? To which this guy from Haiti replied, because I didn't have a shirt to wear. I just thought, whoa, talk about radical discipleship. He just thought, I'm so grateful for what God has done for me. I'll sell my horse. I can't even afford a shirt. I'll send my money with somebody else. I thought, that's crazy. (laughs) Until I suddenly remembered what Jesus said to the old widow that put in her last two coins. Jesus didn't say, silly lady. I'll take one, you take one. 50%, I'm happy with that. Jesus said she put in all she had to live on, and that is incredible. And I thought, man, where is my understanding of truly suffering for him? This this guy, Tom Wright, he he writes lots of books. I'm just trying to give this as a little clue. If, If it's, sorry, just go back to the last one. If his name is Tom Wright on the book, That means it's easy to read. The next quote is by a guy called N.T. Wright. It's the same guy, but it's just written for academics. So I'll let you choose which kind of book you fancy looking at. Same guy. He says this. All Christians will suffer for their faith in one way or another. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because I often think people that suffer around the world, it's not really here. There are people today that will be in prison because they're Christians. There are people around the world today that literally are fleeing for their life because of their faith. I mean, it's shocking. They reckon more people are are suffering for the gospel today than at any other time on this planet. And I can think, oh, it's out there. Actually, this guy says, it's not, uh, he says, all Christians will suffer. If not outwardly, then inwardly. Through the long, slow battle with temptation or sickness. The agonizing anxieties of Christian responsibility for a family or a church. The constant doubts and uncertainties which accompany the obedience of faith. You see, I think there is this. Actually, what Paul was writing to, it wasn't just writing to a small group that think, oh, golly, you know, it's tough for you. I think it's tough being a Christian. I would like to say this. Being a Christian is not easy. Being a Christian is impossible. Unless you know that you are in Christ and he fills you with his Holy Spirit. This guy, Phil Moore, he writes commentaries which are really easy to access. If ever you see them, uh, straight to the heart, they're well worth doing. He says this, spiritual strength comes from experiencing ever more deeply the fact that we are now in Jesus and Jesus is now in us. Now we are getting to the point to lean forward and amen and hallelujahs. This is where the challenge becomes. This is the good news. You see, I think that there's a danger that we've domesticated godliness, that we end up being like the Pharisees that read the word, that kept the commandments and attended the meetings. Whereas actually what we can be is radical, sold-out folk that give everything for him. Some of us would have sung the Matt Redmond song, Scars and Struggles on the Way. 
But with joy, our hearts can say, never once did we walk alone. That is totally true of the gospel. I want to encourage you as we read this book. We've got six weeks. If you've not read it yet, read it. We'll be doing it for the next three weeks. This challenges us for radical adventure with God. There are no promises it's going to be easy, but man, it's going to be exciting. It is a privilege. John Piper, he's an American. I'm going to be landing very shortly. I know my time is up. He's an American Baptist pastor, says this. Godliness is being so ravished by God, so satisfied by God, so filled with God, so driven by Jesus that you live in a way that the only explanation for your life is the promise of God that he will raise you from the dead. I love that, don't you? It's almost like, wow, when you are so in love with him, when you so understand this Jesus that died for you, the only explanation for your life is you were why on earth are you so generous? Jesus is going to raise me from the dead. Why on earth would you serve somebody else? Jesus is going to raise me from the dead. Paul, I should give him the last word. Paul says it like this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal. Our light and momentary trouble. This was the guy I read about who'd been stoned and shipwrecked and naked and bled. And He says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the challenge is that, hey, if you're going to be a radical disciple of him, there's going to be a cost, which is why so often we challenge people to get baptized. Pay the price straight up front. The beautiful thing is that actually one day we will see him. I would love to pray for people right here, right now. If you feel that you're suffering, and you might say, look, I'm not being like that, but N.T. Wright says you could be suffering with doubts and uncertainties. You could be suffering with temptation or sickness. If you think, actually, Pete, I've turned up this morning and I feel I'm suffering. We've had a few words about that. I'd love to pray for you. And the other group I felt stirred about when I was preparing is this. That if you're really honest, and I'm not going to ask you to confess this out, but you think, Pete, I choose the cushion over the cross. And listening to this, I've chosen comfort more than this. I'd love to pray for you. Let's just bow our heads. Jesus, we want to thank you so much that you didn't pull away from that cross. We want to thank you that you died for us. Tortured, humiliated, spat upon, your beard plucked, crucified. We thank you that you were prepared to pay a price for us, but that you rose triumphant. We thank you that the, the way to victory is through the cross. And we feel challenged now because some of us feel like we're still on that suffering. I pray for all those this morning that, are, that just feel, oh, I'm suffering. Golly, this is a struggle. Actually, Pete, I'm only here because somebody brought me. I'm struggling to believe. I'm suffering with doubts and disappointments. 
not turned out as I wanted. I pray right now, Jesus, that you'd be all the strength they need. It is impossible to do this on their own. It's only by being in Christ, only by knowing the Holy Spirit filled them. Fill those that are suffering right now. I pray as well. I include myself in this. Where I've chosen the cushion rather than the cross. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've so often made Christianity about me and my comfort. To people realize how much I have to do or what time I start. Or when I've grumbled. When I've seen a need and not met it. Because I thought, oh, it's just a bit awkward. I pray you give me the guts to go for radical Christianity rather than just my personal comfort. I want to ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Do you just want to save these things that have been stirred by this, uh, that you think, oh, I'd like to pray that through. There is a prayer team at the end. They would love to pray and to pray for you.